0: Okay, so welcome today. Uh, I think it's safe for us to say Merry Christmas, right? Nobody will be offended here if we say Merry Christmas. Today is it's our, our Christmas service uh, in which we will take a look at a passage from the scripture that talks about the Christmas story. We'll take a look at what that means and what that uh, means for us today in, in the world that we're living. Okay, so if you are able, please stand for the reading of God's word. And we are... Reading from Matthew, chapter 2, verses 18 through 25. Chapter two or chapter I'm sorry, chapter 1, yes. And the reading of God's word reads as follows. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together And he called his name, Jesus. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the first coming of Jesus, in which he came as an infant, innocent child. And yet he is God Almighty, creator of the heavens and the earth, who humbled himself by entering his own creation. Lord, may your Holy Spirit this morning give us understanding of this great truth and the purpose behind this life-giving truth to us personally. We ask this this morning in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. So I titled the sermon today Merry Christmas God Does the Impossible. We are taking a short break from going through the book of Romans in which we are going verse by verse Uh, And we're still in chapter one in the book of Romans today, given the special occasion of our baptism and celebrating Christmas, we're going to talk about the Christmas story. So the first question that may come up as we discuss Christmas is, what does Christmas mean to you? I actually saw a video this week in which they were asking various people, what does Christmas mean to you? Some of the common answers. Great uh, gatherings of families, traditional Christmas activities, great food, even vacation, as some of us take a break from the daily grind of our busy lives. And some may even go as far as saying, well, Christmas is the celebration of the birth of Jesus. But very often, that's as far as we go, right? Yeah, the birth of Jesus. Now, a quick disclaimer. Was Jesus really born on December 25th? Probably not, right? We're not really saying that here. So with that being out of the way, that perhaps it's not the 25th of December, what we do need to remember is that the birth of Jesus is something that took place in time and space, in history. It is a historical event, accounted not only by the scripture, but by historians outside of scripture that have written about Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth. Who was this man? So today, we're going to ask, instead of asking ourselves, what does Christmas mean to me or to you? We're going to tackle the question, what is the meaning of of Christmas, really, as God has ordained it, and as He has given us the story of Christmas? What is the real meaning of Christmas? In order to get this answer, we turn to God's Word in the passage that we read today. In this account of the birth of Jesus, considering the text from the book of Matthew, we're going to see several points that are going to illustrate the title of this message, which is the story of Christmas demonstrates to us that what is impossible with man is possible with God. We're going to see this in three points. First. That Jesus was born of a virgin. Secondly, that Jesus is God in flesh. He is God Almighty. And third, the reason why Jesus came. Why did Jesus come? So by looking at those three points, we're going to answer the question, what does Christmas mean really? So let's dig right in. First, Jesus was born of a virgin. This is the human impossibility number one, conquered. None of us here were born of a virgin it's impossible for us so the text there reads in verse 18 when his mother mary had been betrothed to joseph before they came together meaning intimately she was found to be with child from the holy spirit so every human being who has ever been born except jesus has a fallen nature this is due To the disobedience of our first parents, Adam and Eve. They failed, they disobeyed God, and because of that, we are all tainted with what we call original sin. And that's why it is hard for us to obey, it is hard for us to follow the commandments of God. As a matter of fact, it's impossible in and out of our own efforts to do so. Jesus, however, was not born of a sinful nature, since He did not inherit the corrupt nature of mankind. He was, as we're told in the book of Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, that he was from the seed of woman. Now, the reason why this is important is because we are from the seed of man, right? Meaning the offspring of man. Man puts the seed into the woman and from there a child is conceived. But Genesis 3.15 tells us that he's going to be born from the seed of a woman, right? And that was the first hint that Jesus would be born, not of the seed of man, but of the Holy Spirit. That's how Mary was pregnant when she was found to be with child, from the Holy Spirit, not from having relations with Joseph. Now some people may say, well, what's the big deal? What if we just say, you know, Mary and Joseph had relations and, and that's the way Jesus was conceived? That's a major problem. Because if that were the case, that means that Jesus would have inherited the sinful nature of Joseph but that was not the case. Jesus was conceived as it is clear in scripture both in the Old Testament and the New Testament that he was to be born of a virgin. And that is by the act the divine act of the Holy Spirit. So in summarizing this first point then we know that in contrast to Jesus the Bible says that the rest of us were born sinful and are sinful. Romans 3:23 puts it as follows it says for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's all of us. We fall in that category. However, Jesus, it says, 1 Peter 2:22, He, meaning Jesus, committed no sin, neither was deceit found in His mouth. See, that's a contrast. Jesus, perfect, holy, never sinned versus us. We're born disobedient. So Jesus was not conceived in a corrupt nature but conceived by God the Holy Spirit and therefore Jesus has perfection, no sin, no disobedience to the law of God and He is perfectly holy, He is God Almighty. Therefore we see there the impossibility number one of being born perfect, being born by a virgin is impossible to man, but it is possible with Jesus, He did it. Leads us to the second point, Jesus is God in the flesh. This is impossible for us humans to ever accomplish. I mean, it's mind mogling to even consider how that is. However, Jesus did it. He is God in flesh. Verse 23 of our text today says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So Jesus did not begin to exist when he was conceived in the womb of Mary. Jesus has existed from eternity past. He exists and is alive today, and He will continue to live for eternity present. As such, we see that in the Scriptures, I'll give you just one reference, John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, and then verse 14, it says, in the beginning was the Word, speaking of the logos, which means Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, all things were made through Him. And without him was not anything made that was made. And the word, meaning Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. So there we see that Jesus is the executor. The one who created. He existed outside space and time. And he voluntarily entered His own creation. He humbled himself by entering his own creation. Being the king of kings, he humbled himself to be born as a baby in a poor, humble manger. Being king, he became a servant. Being a ruler and a lawgiver, he was born of a woman under the law, according to Galatians 4.4. He subjected himself to the limitations of, of being a man, and he subjected himself to be under civil government. He humbled himself. So therefore, Jesus, we see, is 100% God, creator, not created, of the same nature as God the Father, and yet he is 100% man, born as a baby, grew as a baby boy, to then be an adult, a man. So there, Jesus fulfilled the impossibility of men to be perfect. We are not perfect. We cannot be perfect. While man fails to be perfect, morally speaking, Jesus, in his holiness, cannot fail in his moral perfection, in his holiness, as he demonstrated in his life on this earth. Which leads to the third, to the third point. Then why did he come? Knowing that he was born a virgin, he was conceived without sin. He lived without sin. He is God in flesh. So then why did he come? Jesus came to save sinners. We see there the impossibility number three of our text today. What is impossible for us to save ourselves by trying to be good, by trying to do good, we can't do it. It's impossible. Yet Jesus made it possible by coming to save sinners we see there in verse 21 of our text it says she will bear a son and you shall call his name jesus for he will save his people from their sins in order to make sense of this last point and understand the purpose of jesus being born let us define what we mean when we say that the bible states that people need to be saved what does that mean we hear that all the time Those was crazy christians i was saying that we need to be what does that mean And what does it mean specifically when the Bible says that we are sinners? What is sin? What is that? Many times we use this language and we assume people know what it means, but it's always a good thing to define our terms and to realize what we're talking about. So sin is the transgression of God's law. It is missing the mark. Imagine that you are shooting a target, either with a gun or with with an arc, whatever it is, and there's a bullseye. You are to hit the bullseye, but yet you miss, you miss the mark. In the Greek, in the the language that is written, that's the idea, that you are target shooting, but you miss, you miss the mark. In a similar manner, when God says, do not have any other gods besides me. Do not make images and bow down to them. Do not lie, do not steal. Honor your father and your mother. Do not commit adultery. Do not covet. That's like God telling us. That's the bullseye. And when we are honest and examine our lives, we quickly realize that we miss the mark. We can't do it. Even in our best days, when we think we're doing well, only to realize the next day we trip and fall again. We cannot do it. We miss the mark. We sin. That's what the Bible means when it says that we sin. We miss the mark. Now, loss... If we break the law, if we don't meet what's required, breaking the law has consequence. The ultimate law is not the law of West Covina or wherever city you live, or not even federal law, although that's important. If you break the law, you're going to be punished. But the ultimate law is the law of God. And when we break the law of God as sinners, there is consequence for breaking that law. We read in Romans 6.23, that the wages of sin is death it has the consequence for breaking God's law all humanity in our natural state out of the box we are born in sin we are disobedient to God by our nature and our choice and unless something is done about it we will be judged by God now why think about this why is that so Will a good judge not be righteous in his verdict against the criminal? Make it more personal. Let's say that you were transgressed against somebody, you know, God forbid, broke into your home, hurt you and your family, and they catch that person. They take him before the judge, and there before the tribunal. You are hoping that the judge is righteous and finds that person guilty, A judge who lets that criminal go would be a corrupt judge. Now, how much more for a holy, infinitely righteous God? He will not, as a matter of fact, he cannot give a pass for those that break his law. My friends, that's all of us. He cannot give us a pass. We read in Luke 12, verses 4 and 5. This is Jesus talking. This is what Jesus says. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body. And after that, have nothing more they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. This is the words of Jesus. Many times we picture Jesus as this cool hippie dude with long hair, you know, wouldn't hurt a fly, just wants to go surfing with you. My friends, that's not the Jesus that we see in the Bible. Jesus had very harsh words to say to those that asked him questions of this sort. In plain terms, we as sinners before God, as rebels against the commandments of God, will be judged by God. God is a righteous judge and will send guilty sinners to hell upon their death. If God was corrupt, he wouldn't. He would give sinners a free pass. But God is not corrupt. God is holy. So this is the key when we realize this. That if we are left to our own devices, we are doomed. That's pretty bad news, right? But it doesn't stop there. Now we see that we need a savior. That's where the good news come in. What does it mean then to be saved? To be saved, when we Christians talk about that, when the Bible talks about that, it means that we are saved, we are spared from the righteous judgment of a holy God, from our due punishment as criminals when we are found guilty. We need to be saved from that. When Jesus was being asked how someone could be made right with God, in other words, how someone could be saved, Jesus told them, That they had to be better than the best religious people of the time. Jesus told them, you want to be good? Well, you got to be better than those that you think are best. Those were the Pharisees, the religious people of the time. So Jesus made it known that in human terms, what the people needed in order to be saved was literally impossible to accomplish by human effort. In modern terms, it would look something like this. Let's say that an average person out on the street, we go and we share the gospel with them, and they say, you know what, okay, so so, uh, I still think that I could be made right with God by doing good things. What do I need to do? An answer to them, similar to what Jesus told them, would be something like this. Well, do you know Mother Teresa? Yeah, yeah, I've heard of her, Yep. Do you know Billy Graham? Yeah, yeah, great evangelist very compassionate. Or just plug in any name of any benevolent, righteous, religious ruler that you look up to. Put their name there. Okay, if you want to be right with God, you got to be better than them. Now an average person, if they're honest, they would realize, wow, no way, I can't do it. I'm doomed, I can't do it. This is the answer Jesus gave. When they asked them, then how? Then how can we be saved? If it seems impossible to be better than the most righteous people that we know, then how? Jesus answered that in Luke 18, 27. And He said this, what is impossible with man is possible with God. See that? These words of Jesus are in the context of how someone can be made right with God, It is impossible to be made right with God by trying to be good, by doing something to please God. You'll never make it. Good luck. I've tried it. It doesn't work. I fail the next day. So then today we have seen that Jesus was born perfect. He lived a perfect life, kept all the commandments of God. Jesus is God in flesh. He entered his own creation. And he came so that he could save his people from their sins. See, that's good news. But they're not good news until we realize the bad news that we are in the default state of corruption and headed for destruction. The good news when we realize that is that Jesus came to save sinners. How? How does that happen? The Bible tells us it's by faith. By faith. God gives us that faith. He gives that by grace. Meaning we don't deserve it. But he gives it to us. He grants you faith in Jesus. Which you otherwise would never have. You would never have interest in things of God. In being saved and knowing Jesus. But God gives you that. As we remember how one of the most famous verses says in John 3.16. That God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So that what? So that those who believe, the believing ones, would not be lost, would not perish, but have everlasting life. So let's start to land this plane. Let's start to wrap this up. Jesus did what was impossible for men. He was born perfect. We, in contrast, are born imperfect. Jesus lived a perfect life of obedience. We, in contrast, live a life of disobedience jesus is the creator the holy perfect god whereas we are creatures we are created we are not holy but the good news is that jesus came to save sinners that's the great news that we remember on christmas so i will close with four three misconceptions and a final reflection First, we have a misconception that Jesus came to save everyone. You know, at the end of the, at the, end of the day, everybody's going to be fine. My friends, no. The text that we read today says specifically that Jesus came to save his people from their sins. His people. My question to you today, my friends, is do you belong to Jesus? Does Jesus call you his people? Secondly, some a misconception that says, okay, I agree, I'm not perfect. You got me there. Yes. I'll give you that. But I'm not as bad as somebody, right, fill in the blank. <laughs> like they, yeah, they, they're going to get it, but, I... well, the Bible says wrong. Bible says we are all born in rebellion. And out of our own nature and choice, we are going to reject God and we are guilty before God. Do you realize that? That apart from knowing Jesus, you are not right with God. It's a hard question. But this is what we are confronted with when we read the text, when we read what God has to say to us. Not what somebody said or my mom or my religion. No, this is what the Bible says. And then the third misconception. There's this sort of unspoken agreement in our culture that if there is such thing as God's judgment, as eternal judgment of God, that that's reserved for those really bad people, right? Like, well, of course, Hitler's in hell, right? I mean, he killed over 6 million Jews. Stalin, Mao, Pol Pot, dictators of recent history, actually, who killed millions of their own people, right? There's this sort of agreement in our culture that those people, for sure, or let's say even some false religious leaders, right? Like where we get the phrase, the people drink the Kool-Aid. That comes from Jim Jones. He was a cult leader who literally convinced people to drink poison Kool-Aid flavored, right? People like that. We say, well, that guy for sure. That guy's in hell. I mean, he's an evil dude. Or even from time to time, when we see the news, mass murders, psychopaths who rape kids and murder them. Well, for sure, those people. Yes. So the reflection here would be that. Yes, that is true, but it must go further than that. In reality, not only them, but all of us in our default position, every human being ever born, they too are headed for condemnation. That's the default position of every human being. Enemies of God, enslaved to sin. We prefer darkness rather than the light. We think we're going in the right path, but as the proverb says, There is a path that seems right to men, but the end of it is the way of death. It is only when we realize that we are lost that then we can see the need for that savior. The people in the Old Testament before Jesus came, they longed for that savior that was spoken of because they realized we cannot do this. We cannot keep God's law. This is burdensome. This is impossible. The Savior's promised. He came, He lived the perfect life that you and I cannot live. He died the death that you and I deserve. But He didn't stay in the tomb, He resurrected. He rose again from the dead, defeating sin and death, confirming that everything He said and claimed is true. So that when people realize that, when we repent, when we soften our hearts, when we turn from the life of sin to follow Jesus, when we put that faith in Christ, He forgives us. He makes you new. He gives you hope. He gives you meaning. He restores your mind. He restores your desires. And gives you the fulfillment that nothing else nor anyone else will ever give you. My friend, if you feel unfulfilled today, it is because you need Christ. Whatever vice you're into, whatever trend you're into, whatever I don't know, diet you're into, whatever it may be, whatever pyramid scheme you that's not going to fulfill you. <laughs> Only Jesus will. And Christmas is a reminder that God invites us to trust in Him for our salvation, as it says that He came to save people from their sins. That's all of us. Now finally, this call, this invitation to embrace the meaning of Christmas, the gift of eternal life in Christ, is not available forever. I signed an analogy a few weeks ago about how a sand clock can be deceiving. Do you have a picture of a sand clock? Yeah. And the comment was that as the sand clock empties You see like a sort of pyramid building here and it creates a a hole on top. But when you look at it from an angle, it looks like it's still full, but it's not. And then all of a sudden it drops and it ends. And the late Charles Spurgeon said, thus is the life of every human. We think that we have the whole time in the world and then we're surprised when it all falls and it ends. My friends, Scripture says that it is appointed for every man once to die. And after that comes the judgment. We are given the warning, but we are given the path, the way out of that condemnation. And we see that in the meaning of Christmas. That Christmas is, we are in need of a Savior. And Jesus says, he came only for those who are sick. He didn't come for those who think they're okay. The question is, do I think I'm okay? I'm fine, you know, that, that stuff is not for me. Then Jesus didn't come for you. But the truth is that we all need Jesus. So we need to embrace him, confess him as our savior, put our trust in him so that he can forgive us. And that we may have salvation, peace, joy. Regardless of circumstance. Many people say, oh, you know, become a Christian, everything will be fine. Wrong. As a matter of fact, you become a Christian, life may get harder. But we remember that we are pilgrims through this earth. And that is just a snap of an eye that we're here and then we're gone. And what really counts is eternity. Next time that you're in a situation where this is taking too long. Remember, that's nothing compared to eternity. Will you be with Christ or not? For that reason, we are reminded today of the birth of a Savior He was given to us, so that we may trust in Him. And when we say, Merry Christmas, we will remember that that Savior is for me. Amen? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for the meaning of Christmas being revealed to us in the Bible. Not in what people say or what the culture tells us. But will you tell us about Jesus, the only one who saves, the only one who forgives, the only one who can give us eternal life. May we place our trust in him. May we give our burdens to him so that whatever it is we're going through, he will deal with it for us and take us in his arms. May the power of the Holy Spirit Make us believe that and embrace it so that Jesus may be our Savior today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.